happening here at uh, UBC that people are able to go to for free. Yeah. Ooh, free stuff on campus I can go see. With, and again, free? Sign me up. Yeah. You know, Film Sock, which actually I don't know if we've shed some light on. They've got some events coming up, too. Yeah, and we'll talk about it. Uh, we got to see some really cool stuff. There was a very um, cool documentary that was actually um, – here at uh, Freddie Wood last night, which is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Moa has some really cool exhibits that I want to talk about as well. Team Match was a blast. Ooh, what was Team Match? So Team Match is actually uh, an event that the Ballroom Dance Club puts on. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's this it's a mixture of, uh, so there is social dancing during okay. it. There is graded uh, couples dancing. Mm-hmm. And there's also sketches or routines. Ske- sketches? Sketches? Say that with a bit of a tick because they actually ain't, you know. How's it spelled? Uh, sketches? Like sketches. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're just like skits, sort of. Ah, got but I it. could, I don't think I could decide between whether or not they were skits or sketches. Which they're like dance skits. They're, they're skits, yeah, they are. And some of them were just downright amazing. There was a great one um, based. There's one with sort of a medley of Disney uh, things. I'm already interested. Yeah, um, uh, that like there was. Um, it was it was it was cover. So it was not uh, Disney songs. It was pop songs repurposed for that. So one was carpets were meant to fly. Oh, I I get you. So I'm, they're parodying. I'm, I'm flat, but they're parodying yeah. sort of, previous yeah. Disney songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, another another was actually the the one that I believe uh, placed the the one that I I I really enjoyed was mm-hmm. actually had sort of the plot of mannequin, but in a dance shop. Like what do you mean? So the mannequins in the dance shop come to life. It, like the guy who runs this dance dance studio, sorry, Got dance it. shop. Uh, they come to life because. The guy who runs the shop is is like an older ballroom dancer, and it's it's entirely dialogue free. Like he's clearing out the shop, he's falling on hard times, and he sees his trophy, mm-hmm. and then these mannequins come to life, and they start doing these uh, really amazing dance uh, routines, and they start sort of dancing with him, and it's sort of, it's, it's 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 it was nice, it was hopeful. What would you say the style of dance was? Oh, various. So uh, a lot of them were different ones. I was actually in one that used. Um, wait, wait, hold up. You were in it? Yes, I, I'm. I, I'm in ballroom dance. It's it's a lot of fun. Highly recommend it. And, All right. Uh, the the scat the sketch whatever it was. The sketch sketch the dance skits. Yes, I was in used. Um, so it, it it was actually based on the Magic School Bus. Oh my God! Were you Miss Rizzo? No, I was Arnold. Ah, Arnold is still pretty yeah. Iconic. I, I was the only one. So we actually, I actually did lip sync to some dialogue. It's like, please let this be a normal field trip. <laughs> and he's like, with the frizz? No way. Aw, I think I did him like the guy from The Simpsons. Like, oh no, if I had a girlfriend, she'd kill me. Uh-huh. And like, what I was doing was sort of like lifting my hands, like please, like just praying. Like, like mm-hmm. all I could think of what I was doing that was like the Ricky Bobby from Talladega Nights. Like, help Why? me, Jesus, help me, Allah, help me, Jewish God, help me. Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise. Usually, it was it wasn't that extreme, but that's what I was thinking of. Mm-hmm. Like, was, and um, we you did. Think of that scene. Yeah, we uh, we did uh, K-pop, a uh, K-pop routine. Oh, cool! And uh, to a song called "Fantastic Baby," which is very. It's very iconic. I know no K-pop at all, so it's I. It's by. Uh, I think it's by. Let me check a "Fantastic Baby." I think it's yeah. by Big Bang. I I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I just. Right. It was just very. Uh, it was quite uh, strenuous. We actually had a J-pop one, which mm-hmm. I also didn't know. That was cut because it was the choreography was too difficult uh, to to do. It was just oh. the choreography was just extremely strenuous and kinetic, and it was just uh, like a lot of jumping around. Mm. It's hard on your legs. I have a question. Then who did who does the choreography for you guys? So uh, our our choreography was from various people in our group. Our Bollywood routine was uh, from from a guy named Jason, and uh, the, our actually one of our execs, Elliot, the who was responsible for uh, for the routine, did uh, this. Odd, which is probably most more original choreography in our skit yep. in terms of style, was this um, this piece to All the Right Moves, uh, I think that's it, by One Republic. Mm-hmm. And it was this weird sort of pseudo waltz wearing... So we had sunglasses on for the K-pop one, and Got then it. we had would have to take them off and switch on these Venetian masks. Oh, wow. Uh, for, which were hanging sort of from our necks yeah. uh, uh, over our shoulders. And we had to do that very suddenly and get into this circular formation where we'd start doing this awkward... Waltz. It was deliberately supposed to be a, a pseudo waltz. Okay. And uh, Arnold, I was at. Uh, Elliot was playing Miss Frizzle, okay. and I was Arnold. And so we would pair up in this. And I was like, Arnold is like Arnold really into eyes wide shut because <laughs> <laughs> the the mask looks like that. I just want to say password is Fidelio. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after that, the last um, uh, bit of 
uh, choreography. It was because it was supposed to be a journey through different kinds of dance. We had K, uh, J, we had K-pop, we had this waltz, and we had Bollywood after that, oh, wow. which was a lot of fun. Yeah. I enjoyed the Bollywood a lot. That was a lot of energy. That's it, just a fun thing to do. And you said the choreography was done by students. Yes, a uh, different uh, different person did each one, mm-hmm. and uh, our uh, another uh, uh, a higher level 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 dancer named Tim did the uh, intro and outro, which were also choreographed. Mm-hmm. And the end of it was choreographed to be like a pose, I think, from Dragon Ball Z. I, I, I don't think I've ever seen the show, so I, I didn't know what they were talking about. But yeah. we did this sort of symmetrical uh, configuration facing uh, the audience. The uh, so-called fusion dance. I think that's it. I, I, I really don't know. But that was a lot of fun. Uh, we were we, we were exceeded by a few of the other teams, but it was all – we everybody had a lot of fun putting this on, and it, it really did show. Like, some people did some really amazing things. Like, during the Disney uh, skit, one of our execs actually – uh, she she's tiny and she um was spun around another guy okay. like uh, she, she had her legs around his um neck and sort of spun around that way. Oh my gosh! Like she was kind of just going around the body. Just just once, uh, just around sort of around his head. Is, All uh, right. Swung and that, that's like that, that was something. And in another um uh, another girl who was actually done ballet. Her name's Dee Dee. She was thrown into the air mm-hmm. and caught. That was during the mannequin sketch, and that that was pretty amazing oh, to just to do yeah. to do that on time is. Was pretty good. All of them were, were were pretty well done. It was a lot of fun to watch, and there was also a lot of social dancing, which was a lot of fun. The what event is social dancing for those who don't. You know, is it different from ballroom? No, no, it, it, it is ballroom. It's just you're not being graded on it. It's like mm-hmm. you got some waltz, some tango, some rumba, whatever you want to do uh, on the floor there, and in between. So it would go sketch whatever that whatever it is the dance yeah whatever it was social dancing graded uh, graded dancing where you'd be partnered and you'd sort of be. Um, measured by that mm-hmm. at various levels, and then another one of those sketches, mm-hmm. and that was it. That was it. Was it was a it was a from about one to five in the afternoon, and the last last hour was all social, but they they had that rotation going, and, and it was a lot of fun. It was a great time. Was that only um, for members of the club, or was it open to the public? Actually, I, I'm not I'm I'm not really aware off the top of my head. Yep. I don't think anybody's stopping you. I'm coming there. It's certainly it's certainly a great show to take in. I think you you, you can come in and watch for nothing. You could course, could yeah. come in and watch for nothing, and uh, there is no event similar to it. But there's also there is the gala ball in March, which is a what similar. What is the gala ball? That's uh that's another that's another similar graded competition, mm-hmm. uh, where you see some more. I don't know if there's more sketches, but there's definitely more um more more dancing, more um, couples dancing mm-hmm. work like that, and you see some of these very higher level. Um, pairs of people doing things like uh, like rumba or quick step which are difficult more difficult to do mm-hmm. and get very ornate very flowing uh it, at the higher level well that kind of brings me to my next question is how did you kind of want to get involved in this especially in the ubc community what brought you to it well i i know how to dance uh, <laughs> I, I, I i i knew a little a little bit of the steps yeah. and uh, i like it it's it's a good it's a good social exercise mm-hmm. and I, I live on campus it's easy to do and these are really – it's a great way to stay in shape too because these are hour and a half yes. long practices that divide between Latin and standard. Mm-hmm. So one's fast and one's slow. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a great time. Would highly recommend. It's a new skill to also get. Yeah. Yeah. Great way to meet people too. You know, it's a, it's a, great, it's a great way to socialize. Mm-hmm. Would recommend in that regard. And there is more things happening on campus. Yeah. I'm actually going to go with um, MOA because I think uh, Christine knows I like MOA. I feel like Moa is. You may have mentioned a couple times. Severely, severely, excuse me, severely underappreciated, mm. and um, it's right there. It's at the edge of campus, which is the reason why I feel like a lot of people don't want to go. It's like it's like ah, it's like all the way over there. It's it's past the length of my arm. Anything beyond the length of my arm, I don't want to go. Let's be honest. Like, when have you visited the Moa? Last time. I actually didn't know the Moa was part of UBC. See. Uh, because I was very misinformed, yeah. Uh, so I I wasn't aware. It's open to students for yes, free. Yes, it is. It is. Okay, open to students I I, th- for free. I thought they were charging. So oh no, not at all. That, was, is... that was my error. <laughs> no problem. And that's like there's a lot of miscommunication when it comes to the museum mm-hmm. anthropology here at, in uh, UBC. It is quite a, a ways. You do have to go beyond the theater. You go to the rose garden a little bit down, and then tucked away in the corner of the woods somewhere is the Moa. But it is free for students. And if you want to go, which I Highly recommend if you're interested in fabric, if you're interested in different cultural clothing, we have layers of influence, unfolding cloth across cultures. And it opened actually um, a week ago, 
on Thursday, November seventeenth. Uh, that was the grand opening. And um, again, for students, you have free admission. All you do is show your student uh, card. That's what I did, and I just got that little like like plastic button kind of holdy thing. Yeah, one of those little clips to hold up. Yeah, yeah, clips. And then I went on and saw what was inside, and it was really cool. The one thing that they don't have is they don't have the cloth actually on mannequins. Huh. They have the cloth okay, so suspended from the ceiling in a in a way that um, makes the cloth almost feel alive without having a person embodying it just because the air circulation that they have they have a very special setting for it they can't make it too cold or too hot because some of these uh fabrics are actually made from like bark like tree bark yeah and uh, other things that are made from like um very like special kind of silk and stuff like that so they have to be treated quite well fair enough yeah and um they're hanging and as the wind goes through you can see the fibers moving you can see sometimes like the glimmer from like gold like shining through it's very beautiful and the one thing i really liked about the curator uh jennifer kramer uh what she did is um she made sure that when you're seeing the different kind of cloths that you're able to understand what they're about in a way that doesn't really make them seem super exotic because one thing that is a critique is that um you know making bringing all these like different cultures and to you know our museums and stuff like that is making them like othering or making them exotic when they're just in fact just normal human beings like you and me they just have different clothing trying to bring them closer in that regard that's right and in a so the exhibit works in a way to have us understand what the special, you know, cloths or the special way of making these clothes are used without a way of making them seem like they're alien to us. Makes sense, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's really uh, great. I was really interested in what Dr. Kramer had done. One thing I'm just going to read off their website is, from birth to death, humans are wrapped in cloth worn for survival. But more importantly, they wear clothing as an external expression of their spiritual belief system, which I thought was really interesting. It also shows social status, and political identity. This stunning exhibition will explore clothing's inherent evidence of human ingenuity, creativity, and skill drawing from MOA's textile collection, the largest collection in Western Canada, by the way, to display a global range of materials, production techniques, and adornments across different cultures and time frames. So what's an example of that? Well, one thing I saw that was really interesting is there was the Indonesian sarongs. And basically, Hmm. these women have these... Uh, patterns that they have for their um, sarong. There's like five like specific patterns. Like one mm-hmm. is called like the the pink squid or the purple squid. Excuse me. And um, it was really cool because what they do is actually they don't wear that on a regular basis, but each family has their own special kind. So okay. they make their own special pattern. Like a Scottish tartan. Yeah. And what they do is they only take it out during um, times where a Buddhist monk or a person of high um, religious kind of um, prestige comes into the village and oh, they okay. wear it on that kind of holiday but for every family it's quite sacred and basically when one of the anthropologists came in and then they were kind of like looking through and being like oh i want to buy your sarong and stuff like that they they were like wait wait wait! i want to show you mine i want to show you mine like it was like a family competition and who huh. had like the best kind of sarong huh. yeah like between different families they were all trying to show the anthropologist like this is my family sarong this is my family sarong and they were actually quite proud to present it in a museum in Canada that they were actually really like this is my work of art I want to yeah you can definitely take it you can show it to the people good stuff that that certainly sounds that's a positive that's certainly a positive way to look at it yeah uh, one thing I really liked is I'm always interested in how there might be um sort of like similarities in, in between cultures so what I did I actually went through the museum and I looked at all the different uh, fabrics and I looked for similar patterns hmm. like this is a, um, a place like in like northern Africa this is a place in like far away like you know I guess uh, East Asia are there places that look um, similar or different and it was really cool on how some places had really similar patterns like maybe they had a triangle or a diamond shape and I'd be like well they're from like completely different areas of the world this is really interesting to me And some places had very specific, like, only it was shown here kind of thing. That does seem, that certainly does seem interesting. Yeah. 
Anyways, so uh, if you guys are interested in going to see it, again, it's called Layers of Influence Unfolding Cloth Across Cultures. It is free for UBC students. If you want, like, take the tour. The tour was really um, fun. I actually had a really good time. And um, go see it for yourself on how people create such, like, really cool clothes. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, we'll be going to a few uh, short messages, and we'll be back with more stuff for you. You're listening to The Arts Report on CTR Radio 101.9 FM, broadcasting from unceded Muskegon Territory in Vancouver. We'll catch you soon. The story of the worst motel in upstate New York and the sociologist who decided to live there so he could study America's most hated criminals. Sex offenders, parolees, indigent, that's what it was for. Exiled, Sex Offenders at the Boardwalk Motel, airing this Friday, 8 a.m. on CITR 101.9 FM. The most powerful motivational speeches that I have ever heard came from people who told me I couldn't do something. <laughs> you know why? Because when they told me I couldn't do it, I was bound and determined to show them that I could. All Access Pass is back for season two. We are a collectively run weekly program that discusses equity, inclusion, and accessibility issues on and off UBC's campus, including both visible and invisible disabilities. Anyone can get involved. No experience is necessary. People of all abilities are welcome to join. Check us out on Facebook at All Access Pass or get involved by emailing accessibilitycollective at citr.ca. cell phone already has an FM receiver chip installed in it, but major Canadian telecommunication and mobile companies have blocked access to this free system to listen to their radio in favor of charging for data streaming. With access to the FM chip, your phone can still receive broadcasts and updates during an emergency, even if the cell towers are down. Visit freeradioonmyphone.ca to see how you can get involved by contacting your carrier and signing our petition. November 25th is the third Vancouver edition of Intercessions, an all-ages series of DJ workshops curated for and by women, gender nonconforming, and queer folks. Come learn the basics of DJing and connect with new friends through the practice on CDJs, turntables, tractor, and serato, and a safe and fun atmosphere. The workshop is at Redgate, and there's a $15 suggested donation, which is pay what you can. No one will be turned away for lack of funds. If you are interested in participating, check out the Facebook event in RSVP. And welcome back to the Arts Report. I'm your host, Ashley Park, and with me is... Jake Clark. Yes. So let's talk about films. Let's talk about UBC. Let's talk about Film Society. Ah, the Film Society. I thought we were going to start with yellowing. We can, but I want to talk about Film Society first. Can we talk about Film Society first? Yeah. Sounds good to me. So tomorrow, actually, the Film Society's got a rare triple feature at the Performance Theater, which is actually because they're uh, actually, some of them are, I'd say two of them are under length. One's 90 minutes, is called The Watermelon Woman. Okay. Uh, which is, um, uh, it's, 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 uh, this has been described to me as, it's clerks, but with black lesbians as main characters. Clerks with black lesbians. Which okay. sounds great, which yeah. sounds um, amazing. Uh, and uh, after that is Pink Narcissus, which is, uh, word for word, uh, a visualization of the erotic fantasies of a gay male prostitute. Mm-hmm. I think Gus Van Sant made that one too, and uh, after that is a short uh, Kenneth Anger. Anger. I never know whether or not it's Kenneth Anger or Kenneth Anger. Because uh, spelled A N G E R, literally. Yeah, yeah, and it, I, I don't think that's his Christian name, but yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, is uh, it's the inauguration of the Pleasure Dome, which I'm pretty sure might have something to do with Kublai Khan. I don't know. It's Kenneth Anger. I don't know if this is the one Mick Jagger did. No, no, that was Scorpio Rising, <laughs> but. It's, it's, it's one of those things where, no matter what it is, it's going to be weird. It's going to be somewhat entertaining. Uh, so these seem, this, that's our lineup for, uh, for this Thursday. Mm-hmm. The, and uh, what time does the lineup start? The lineup starts at 6.30, I believe. At 6.30? Are no. you sure? Because it says 6.15, Watermelon Woman. 
I guess it makes sense. Yeah, if if we're doing a triple feature for the times. Yeah, okay, so 6.15 probably. Mm -hmm. And then uh, there's also an event for CITR on the 1st. What is it? December the 1st. High Fidelity. High Fidelity. At at the CITR Lounge, actually. And High Fidelity is a great movie. Have you seen High Fidelity? I actually have not seen High Fidelity. Highly recommend it. High Fidelity is... um, you know, if you're, I'm, I'm, I like John Cusack a lot as okay. an actor, and uh, he's. This is a classic Cusack, right? Classic here, Cusack moment. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not. It's, it's like not like, like 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 some your real vintage Cusack, like Better Off Dead, but yeah. uh, like this has him, John Cusack, as this guy who runs a record store, and he's sort of a whiny guy who. It's his story. He frequently addresses the camera. Okay. And he talks about. Uh, it's 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 about his relationships because he makes top five lists of everything, okay. and he makes a top five list of his worst breakups after his girlfriend walks out on him, mm-hmm. and it's him sort of going through them back and forth. It's it's, it's a well done movie. It's it's a well written movie. I would say, with one notable exception, it's an excellently acted movie. And um, if if you like, it's 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 really is a music nerd movie too. There's a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of references in it. Which is why it could be really good for people who are interested mm-hmm. in kind of like music scene, music culture sort of stuff. Yeah. Kind of. Kind of in a way. If you're interested in music, if you're interested even in radio, it fits. Yeah, that's why for we that, have it because, know, for the And it's the interesting thing about it is that it's about sort of being an appreciator of something. Mm-hmm. And to degree, this is not the central theme of the movie by any means, but it's, of it's being an appreciator versus being a creator of it. Uh-huh. And... That is something that kind of intersects at the end. Intersects. My diction really is not that good, is it? But uh, that that does sort of come together at the end. And it's 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 an interesting movie. It's well characterized. Highly recommend it. And mm-hmm. that is at CITR on the first. Yep. And at seven o'clock. Let's say people are like, well, I'm kind of I kind of don't want to watch High Fidelity. I already watched it. I I already cusacked my way here. If people are interested, on December 1st, starting at 6 o'clock, at the Nest Performance Theater, which is at the uh, Student Union Building, there is, um, starting at 6.15, Mishima, A Life in Four Chapters, directed by uh, Paul Schrader. Paul Schrader, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, he wrote Taxi Driver. Yeah, he did. And it's a fact and fiction, uh, fact and fiction to illustrate events in his biopic on the life of controversial author militarist Yukio Mishima. Oh, he um he was a guy who tried to overthrow the government, wasn't he? Yeah. He uh strange man. Sort of like really really militaristic Japanese Milianopolis almost, mm-hmm. I think. So people are like that sounds kind of interesting. I want to know more about the, about this guy December 1st. Yeah, that's next. that's at the performance theater and I think there's a couple more movies after that. I think that's the same format as uh as today with two shorter movies coming afterwards. Yeah, which is really interesting because mm-hmm. the movie coming afterwards at 8.30 called Patriotism is actually directed by Yukio Mishima. Huh. Yeah. Oh. All right. That will that certainly fits. Yeah. And then it's about uh, Lieutenant Shinji Takayama and his wife decide to commit seppuku. Delightful. For people who don't know what seppuku is, would you yeah, like to inform that's, them? Uh, gash your guts it, it's uh, with, kind uh, of uh, like with a, a wakazashi. Yeah, let's uh, – to – to make it really kind of clean cut, it's basically um, kind of um, committing suicide by mm-hmm. um, disemboweling yourself. Yeah, with, yeah. Uh, with a wakazashi. Yeah. With, an, with a sword, yeah. And it's... then after that is Lost Paradise, directed by uh, Masami Akita, in which a young woman takes her own. Oh, there's a lot of. Uh... Yeah, there's a, there's. I think there's a theme going through there's these a, ones. Yeah, there's a theme going. That, that's with Harakari, though, and that's this is something I've the inter- the difference between seppuku and Harakari. What is it? I think it's that one of them is planned, and that the other one is one thing you do just spur of the moment. You're um, like, all right, I gotta do it. Because yeah, like, uh, well, samurai would yeah. kill themselves to uh, avoid well, avoid dishonor was one, but practically speaking, so it's that like, you don't get taken captive and tortured. That's probably uh, ah. it's I, I just sometimes I think of the get like whenever I think about that, I think about the line from Get Smart. Like, yep. this is a cyanide capsule. If taken, it will cause death in nine seconds. Excellent. <laughs> How do I get them to take it? Yep. <laughs> but anyway, there's a lot of stuff happening from the uh, film society if you are interested yeah, in watching yeah. a movie. And if people do want to watch a movie, um, how much is it? So it's free, actually. It's free! Because we're no longer at the norm. We're no longer putting out uh, movies, uh, double features five times a week, which mm-hmm. I, I really do miss. I really do. And why do you miss that? Well, I don't know. It's I, I guess I'm a shut-in. I just, it, was, it, was, it was a good time. Mm-hmm. It, was, it, was, it was really good programming. Like the, the plan, actually, if we had the normal to do Exploitation Movie Fridays, it should be delightful. Mm-hmm. And uh, just have some really good programming out there, some really 
a diverse programming. As you can, as you may observe, there is a lot of diverse programming already yeah, in there. there. Imagine November twenty fourth, uh, we have a lot of queer long. movies. Uh, December first, we have a lot yeah. of um, Japanese Japanese suicide movies. Suicide movies. That's very a very niche. specific genre. I was gonna say it's really niche. <laughs> that's like that's like well, the Italian cannibal movies is a surprisingly large genre. Uh huh. No, that's not in Italy though. That's in the Amazon, but still, it's very specific. And you know what? Let's talk a little about film. Let's talk a little about kind of um, you. We mentioned uh, Yukio Mishima. Yeah. Try to overthrow the government. Yeah, uh, yeah. That was a, so. As far as I understand about Yukio Mishima, he was a he was he's an interesting man. Yeah. Uh, and the the reason I I said uh, militaristic Japanese Milianopolis, he was he was gay and extremely uh, conservative, mm-hmm. to my understanding. He he had a longing for a feudal government, I think, was something or something resembling something that. back to, like, the days of the samurai. Yeah, like, t- taking it way back. Yeah. Uh, and he was willing, in, I think this was in the 70s, and it makes sense that Schrader uh, was, is the one doing that, because Schrader... Uh, his first movie, it had Robert Mitchum in it, and it was about about that. It was about the Yakuza. Okay. And the Yakuza do trace um, their the, their organizational lineage to the samurai. And I, I'm trying to remember. Yeah. Yeah, it was, I think, I, there is a reference, I think, to Mishima in, in that movie. I, I could be wrong. But he, um, Mishima would have, that, after this movie was made, because that was made in the early 70s, he would have done mm-hmm. this. Because he was already known for that. And... He did. He did attempt to an armed insurrection, which failed, and then he took his own life, which was, you yeah. know, in, 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 according to that would have been that would have been a clear follow through from yeah. the code he was following. That's right. As in terms, because that that would have been the reaction in the the, the era of feudal Japan. I cannot remember. Um, would have been Tokugawa Shogun that he wanted to go back to. Yeah, My yeah. knowledge of Japanese history is a little patchy. Most likely Tokugawa, maybe like maybe even the Oda. Nobunaga. That's okay. That's that's yeah. So warring states, basically back to the times of the samurai. Yeah, yeah. which is a, a desire that we're seeing a lot. I I do notice that, that people do want to kind of return back to like quote unquote glory days, but there's also people who are always looking to push forward with democracy, push forward for um, progress. Yeah, and one of the we would we would know that considering. Yeah. Yeah, considering our next film that we're going to talk about is called Yellowing. Mm. Unfortunately, I I can't read um, Chinese. I am not Chinese. Neither am I. Yep, I'm Korean, so I can't read the um, the Cantonese that they have. Um, but I'm pretty sure it has its own meaning. We'll try to uh, mm-hmm. find out what it means. But it, it's called Yellowing, and it was actually um, on VIF. It was actually even on VAF, V-A-F-F, which is Vancouver Asian Film Festival. Ooh. And um, it was sponsored by the uh, Center for Chinese Research, the Department of Asian Studies here at UBC, and as well as the Department of History and Department of Theater and Film, in which they had this film actually um, shown for free uh, yesterday at the Freddie Wood Theater at 6.30. We both attended, yeah, but we, we did attended. we did not actually run into each other. Yeah, it was really weird. We didn't run into each other. We I was going to text you too, yeah. but I thought I thought that I thought that you weren't going. No, I was I thought, going. So. I was actually I was okay. actually at the wrong place. I was at the Chan Center, not the Freddie Wood. And at the Chan Center there mm-hmm. was a different event. They were actually um it was I think it was a celebration of the new yeah, uh, UBC it's, president, um, Santo. Yeah, Santo Dr. Ono. Ono. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And I was like Oh boy, I am not supposed to be here. It was really funny because I went there early because I'm like, I can get the best seat. I'm coming early, so I went to the chance center early, and then a lady ushered me in with all the different ushers, and I thought, oh my gosh, she thinks I'm volunteering for the event. She thinks I'm an usher. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, no, I'm actually not an usher. I'm here for the event. And they're like, oh, you are? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, okay. And then I realized when I checked my email again, I'm at the wrong place. I was like, ah, oh, better use the restroom. I say very awkwardly, very loudly. As I go towards the restroom, I take a right and I just leave. Veer off, book it out of I there. I just book it. I just go like, oh my god, I'm I'm like gonna be late. Yeah, yeah, I know yep, the yep. feeling. I um, I, I I live on campus, so I just mm-hmm. short walk over to Freddie Wood. Yep. I was in in the rain. Yep, in the rain. Yep. But the film too is really rain actually plays a pretty interesting part yeah, in this movie. Actually. That's right. And about the film, for people who don't know, they're like, what are you guys talking about? What is yellowing? We'll tell you. Well, um, us, right? This is from Vif. 
the turmoil that's overtaking Hong Kong since the return to the Chinese sovereignty in 1997 mm. has spawned a new generation of young, passionately committed activist filmmakers. Mm-hmm. They want to tell Hong Kong's story with Hong Kong voices. And the best indie documentary to have emerged so far from the HKSAR is this year's uh, Yellowing by Chan Ji Wun, and I hope I'm saying that properly. If not, I do apologize for my pronunciation. A 29-year-old with degrees in, in uh, policy studies and film production. And the one thing that was really interesting is that we are able to see Hong Kong's almost like fraught and like tense relationship with mainland uh, Chinese yeah. you know, government. And it came to like a huge movement in the umbrella movement of 2014, which... Yeah some people don't know about. Now, I, I didn't know about that before, actually. Yeah. I, I'd heard about the protests very loosely. I actually, when you told me about this, I didn't put together Hong Kong democracy protests, which I'd heard about very loosely, yep. and Umbrella Movement, until I saw this. And I, it was I really, just, it was a thing that actually happened on our, on our campus, too. Uh, I don't know if you were here in 2014, Was you? not, no. That's right. Uh, well, in 2014, there was actually a bit of protest even happening here at UBC, and that's why we have, like, that lady with, like, the torch that's kind of being held up. What does that have to? Okay. That is the. Um, that was actually part of the. Um, the the movement for the uh, the umbrella movement because we actually had a few students and I was hearing in the audience that uh, they were actually there at the protest during that yeah. time. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. For the Q and A afterwards, there was. Yeah, there was... it's the goddess of democracy and. Uh, the goddess of democracy, huh? That's, yeah, and uh, they actually put a yellow umbrella. Where she was, uh, right there. See? Oh, terrific! Yeah, um, it was during uh, it was during the uh, Tiananmen Square protests in 1989. Yeah, if we know what Tiananmen is. Yeah, um, there there are a few again, para- there are a few parables to that too. Yeah, there, they are, and um, they actually put a yellow umbrella where she was holding her um, torch. And again, huh. this statue is on our Vancouver campus. Mm-hmm. If you want to go check it out. But yeah, at that time, I didn't really register what was happening either. I knew there was a protest happening in Hong Kong, and there were student protests, and there were um, there was bits of violence. But yeah. this actually had yeah. scenes in which it was happening then and there. Yeah, if a film from Ground Zero. Well, there's one time where the director got tear gassed. Yeah. Yeah, he's – and uh, – this is edited really well. It was edited it's, quite well. It's a two-hour documentary, and there's it drags a little, but the, it's good at doing that through two ways. One, this is edited, I said, as I mentioned, it's edited quite well. It's yep. edited very smoothly, and it's edited to give the – to do one thing, which is hard to do with real life, is to give a sense of narrative and of character to things that are really happening. Because yep. it's very hard to capture real people in summary doing real things. That's why screenwriters mm-hmm. have a job. Also, one thing I want to put in is that what we see on the news is always sens- sensationalist. It's always like about the violence, about like students uprising and stuff like that. But yeah. we don't get to actually have a one-on-one with the students like the director did. We don't get to see – their point of view and kind of humanize them in a way that's just, you know, outside of just unnamed protester. Well, and that was really fantastic because, yeah. um, so, uh, I, when I was in high school when Occupy happened yeah, and I still have problems with Occupy uh, because my impression in my hometown was mm-hmm. really negative because, uh, they, so they camped out in a public park and there were some, basically the police ended up breaking it up because there were some s- drug issues yeah. in there. Like you'd, you, like you, you could step on a needle in the grass at one point, and that's probably a handful of people, but that did this did screw it up. There was definitely a problem there, and there were a lot of parallels to Occupy in this. Mm-hmm. But um, one thing they did uh, was they they did humanize them a lot. The people in this, I I couldn't recall names really because they were really brief on that, yep. but they all seemed like people we know, people who have relatable sets of none of these. None of the people seem like extremely angry or radical people. They seem like people They're who not. are fa- people who are facing issues that are very real to them and rather unfortunately don't have a lot of places to turn. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I thought was really interesting about mm-hmm. the way the film started and um, the film is broken into chapters. Yeah. And there are 20 chapters in total. 20 total? Which, which is why it's a little bit uh, long. About uh, I think it's about 128 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just just over 2 hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one thing I liked is where we started, in which he was, the director was talking about it all started here at the Roundhouse, at uh, basically a place where cars just turn around or, like, go around a thing to get to a different road. And the way that it started... Yeah, roundabout. Sorry, not roundhouse. What am I saying? Roundabout. No. 
Thank you. Yeah. I don't know cars. Anyway, the main thing that I thought was really moving is how they showed the police and they how they showed the protesters. Because the protesters aren't calling them names. They're not trying to fight them. They're, they're saying, you are Hong Kong people like, you know, like they, me. Like, they were shouting at them a lot. Like, do you have any humanity? Yeah, do you have Which, any humanity? Here's, here's, here's the thing about and being a— they were a, crying. Well, yeah, here's the thing about being a, a, a lower-level uniform policeman. They do point this out. Yeah. Is it's a lot like in, in this situation. It'd be very similar to being an infantryman in the Army. You're doing what people tell you to, and that's your job. Mm-hmm. The, the, that is, on the whole— doing your job so i have i have sympathy a lot of the time for people who are in that situation like especially people who have to go up against people who are of their own of their own creator their own identity in mm-hmm. the pursuance of their duty but i'm glad they you're glad they're doing that because they're still doing the job that law enforcement is supposed to fill mm-hmm. it, the, the, that was a mangled analogy but i see i, I, I have still, a different i have yeah. a different op- opinion than you maybe, but. maybe yeah i but. They, they are serving uh, rather a corrupt government, but yeah, that that's that's a problem. The the thing is for me is that um, I I understand having to clear people out, especially I think they were even and this is really interesting. Even the protesters, their own factions, they had different factions. Yeah, based they on did. Where they were located, which was a problem with Occupy too. That's right. Because when you have no figurehead for an activist movement, it's like having a paraplegic lap dancer. You can do it, but you're at a pretty significant disadvantage. <laughs> Not saying that if you are someone who's paraplegic and want to be a lap dancer, like if you have that dream, go for it. Don't let your dreams become dreams. Please do. That's 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 just amazing. You can do you can do anything you want to. All right. Anyways, back to the movie. But yeah, because they had different fashion, there was this place Mokdong. Yeah. It was a um, basically a shopping mall kind of like businessy central. Like basically, you go there, you you go to buy something. So Mongkok was like a Mokdong. Mukdong? I think it's called Mukdong, yeah. I, I, it, it was like a business area? Basically, yeah. It's kind of okay. like it, okay. your metro town sort of thing. And Admiralty was the other area? Admiralty was the other area, yeah. And that was? I think Admiralty was more like where the civil square was, I think. Okay, yeah. so, so like a... I, I don't know. I'm mm. pretty sure we're going to get it wrong. If you want mm. us to do corrections, feel free to email us at any time at arts, A-R-T-S at C-A-T-R dot C-A. We love to hear from you. But um, we have these two different factions, and they were saying, like, we shouldn't occupy this area that's just going to bother people. Yeah. And they were talking about, of course, the business area, Mokdong. Like, you shouldn't occupy that. People want to get through and stuff like that. We should only occupy this area. But then as more and more people join the movement, the the quote-unquote protagonists of uh, the, the film, they were even like, well, what's going on here? Who's yeah. this guy? What's their ideology? There's a lot of confusion, uh, and that's – Seems accurate. Like one thing that I did find amazing mm-hmm. is how structured they were able to be. Like they they did this whole little tent city on the streets they were putting on. They had a water removal system. It was, they had Wi-Fi. Yeah, it was crazy. Well, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. They had lighting and Wi-Fi, and it was they had everything set up on, like um, like a little like mini commune. Almost. Millennial protesters were going to have Wi-Fi. Yeah. <laughs> well, no not matter what. us. I'm and a protester, but. because they were students, they were actually still studying. Yeah, they they were. Yeah, the the one um, one of the the a, a woman who was the primary protagonist. She was a, a liberal arts student who was considering law, and she had this textbook of tort law about 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 as thick as Atlas Shrugged, and probably more fun to read. And uh, <laughs> and that was she had to, she said that she'd missed three readings, and she had to go through basically half the book. Mm-hmm. That her storyline was interesting because she provided the memorandum at the end. She did, and uh, that was in response to this letter. That, that that a professor of her wrote that was kind of acquiescing to the mainland Chinese uh, mm-hmm. government, and uh, her response was basically addressing that that they're the ones who'll have to live there, sort of, and they, they don't want to. Mm-hmm. It's a generation gap, and it is that's a relevant that is a relevant uh, consideration. Mm-hmm. One thing that I thought was really interesting is that uh, we mentioned them before, like we have these protagonists and we follow them around, and we yeah. have very different kind of um backgrounds for for all of them some are students and some are actually graduated from being uh students one guy was like a dropout one guy was a dropout um, yeah blonde blonde guy uh, another guy i remember his name because they called him brother cockroach yeah brother and then cockroach. he said no cockroach is fine yeah. uh he was sort of like an organizer sort of a get her done guy he was a graduate i think mm-hmm. and we had people who were in a lot of um mm-hmm. 
different um, views of their family. The family were like, hey, I support you if you want to do this, but just don't, you know, stay the night. You might get hurt. And other people were like, okay, if you do that, you know, do you know who you're actually, you know, you putting your life on the line? No, you're putting your family's life on the line. Yeah. Kind of thing, too. Filial piety. Yeah. They they mentioned that a few times, Mm -hmm. which, yeah, that's very huge cultural importance. Mm-hmm. I'm, 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 I'm gathering. It, it's kind of like um, you, you owe your life to your parents sort of thing. Yeah, they mentioned that. They said that specifically. Yeah, you owe your life to your parents. And uh, it's like a huge I, – I think it is kind of a – it is really heavily influenced by Confucianism, which is actually also big in uh, South Korea as well. I, yeah, yeah. I, I actually remember seeing an infographic on that. that the only place was like uh, – that wasn't hugely Confucian influenced with the Philippines mm-hmm. in that part in Southeast Asia. Yep. But so, everything else has a lot of Confucianism values. Yeah, so so and filipiety is a very strong one in Confucianism. That's right, and um, uh, a lot of these, a lot of them seem to be Christian though, which is yeah. which is interesting because a uh, lot of them are Christian too. Because uh, the one guy was referencing a crush he met in church. Oh, that was amazing. That was when they really asked him, funny. Are, "Are are you afraid of being arrested?" No, I wasn't before, but mm-hmm. I have a crush, and uh, I think if we were to have a relationship, it'd be difficult because. She wouldn't approve of me having a criminal record. That was really that funny. That was so sweet. And we had a lot that of... Like, uh, that, was, that, was, that, that, that was that was heartwarming. That was yeah. legitimately heartwarming. And that's what I mean before. Like, we get to see them kids as being kids, too. We have one guy who's like, I... I want to. I want. I can't. I can't ask this girl out. I need you to. Oh yeah, go that over there. that entire scene. I was. I was wondering if that was staged, but it's. Mm-hmm. It, uh, even if it was, like, that was funny and that felt very real. <laughs> and the guy goes to, like, talk to the girl, but he's like, dude. Gets his friend to go over there yeah. for him. And he's like, dude, wrong girl. He's <laughs> like, but but she's nice too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, there were genuinely funny moments and genuinely heartwarming moments in this. And I, I like that because documentaries, biopics have to try. I think it's very difficult to make real people not seem like complete, complete assholes in yeah. summary. And Which especially is... with something so highly politicized as mm-hmm. the Umbrella Movement, yeah. basically, from the very, very – there's actually not a lot of clips of violence that I thought there would be. No. Uh, you... was, was it a violent thing that you're aware of? Because I know there was a crackdown. They do show a guy getting beaten by yeah. police. But the thing is, on, in the in the news that we're, as we're talking about, in news and all this kind of stuff, they show the most violent thing they can because it's like shock. Oh, yeah. It yeah. gets ratings. And I was actually kind of nervous going into this movie because I was like, I don't know if I can sit through two hours of, you know, police, like, you know, brutality. I don't know if I can do that. Well, if we're going to mention Tiananmen Square. Yeah. <laughs> well, what I, one thing in earlier on is they say, they have a tank in the overpass. I'm like, oh. Yeah, you get well, a lot of, like, you know, kind of, like, flashes. Like, oh, my God, it's going to be Tiananmen Part 2. Or are we going to see something that the news haven't shown us that, you know, did uh, – did Chan Zi-Woon have, like, you know, mm-hmm. footage that would be really violent? I was really scared of seeing that. Yeah, he compared it to David and Goliath. And that, uh, well, David won that particular fight. But that was his thought. Like, it's it's got to be something for them that has to be decisive mm-hmm. and quick because they are at such a disadvantage. Yeah. And in the end, you really do feel that when they break it up. They're able to – all these, like, one – like, you have – you basically get a strong attachment to their community, to their homes, because you see them making it. Lion rock spirit. Yeah, they say right. that a few times. You see them make it. You see them put everything together. And then they come in um, and just bulldoze it like it was like like that. Yeah. Yep. That's, uh, that is well, that's the case. And honestly, the ending of this movie, especially the Q&A afterwards, mm-hmm. uh, Can I you talk really... talk about that? I, I actually didn't get to stay for the Q&A. So I stayed for the Q&A. And uh, he's in Taiwan at the time. And this is the director, yeah. uh, Chan Zi-Wen, right? Promoting the movie, mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, people came up and asked him questions in Cantonese and in English. There mm-hmm. was an interpreter. And he um, he was saying that it, – it, so basically there is a clock mm-hmm. for 2047, which is when they will – Hong Kong will be part of mainland China, okay. assuming everything goes according to plan. Yeah. And the, the – um, a lot of people are dreading that because that, by this point, is the world they will have to live in. Mm-hmm. That is the world that they'll have set up for them. The Hong Kong he knew as a child, which is something that he references in the beginning and the end of the movie, yes. will be gone. And uh, what I what I gathered uh, from this is that Hong Kong does have a, a different culture and a different culture that was allowed to flourish because it was a British protectorate. Yeah. I'm not saying British colonialism was 
Right. Right. Or was decent by any means. But I'm going to say it's probably a better situation than being under the thumb of the Chinese government. Well, and I don't know. I in, in all I might have to like disagree with you then because we don't really know what it's like to been part of um, you know being being part of like being relinquished in 1997. Yeah. So somebody who was living during the colonial rule, the British might be like, no, this might be better. Mm. But it really does depend on point of view. But what's happening right now with them, and this is again an opinion. So this is not like for truth or anything like that. Yeah. But in in this case, with what happened with them asking for a democratic, you know, voice in yeah. choosing their own government, it does feel like it's very oppressive. He did he did mention independence was um, something that is gaining, is not heavily supported, but is gaining traction mm-hmm. because Hong Kong is a port town, and uh, a lot of what they have economically, according to him, is mm-hmm. import export. So it's based around what they can trade. And if they're not part of China, a concern is that they'll get uh, cut off, they'll get blockaded or something. Uh-huh. Which, yeah, that's a very real possibility. I can see the, the Chinese government doing that. And it's, it's really... The, the Chinese government is still a, a socialist government and still does employ uh, tactics that, that are that, around the treatment of, of information and of... I would I would say civil and human rights that were employed by folks like the Russians and the East Germans. It's just that's just how, because it, it is a totalitarian government. It's an increasingly, uh, from what I understand of China, it is a government that is increasingly shifting towards something resembling a democratic model. It's still a totalitarian totalitarian government. It's still preserves that by means of as this was honestly. We were both probably expecting a lot more violence to come because we uh, see the precedent that Tiananmen Square set, that mm-hmm. the, any of it, like, the, in terms of mass murder, Mao Zedong beat Hitler roundly. He killed 60 million uh. people over the course of his lifetime alone. And the sad part is a lot of his own native people died. Yes, almost all of his own. That's the, that's the thing, that the Russians and the Chinese killed a lot of their own over the, over the course of that, and that's... And it's due to, mm-hmm. again, government being mismanaged and not really caring about well, yeah, the it's, people it's, that they serve. It's nothing against the actual race of people. If no, you are Russian, no, it's, if you it's, are it's, Chinese, no, it, no, it's, uh, it's how the government handled the yeah. people at that time. It was the part of the, the Great Leap Forward, ironically, put a lot of people very far backward. Mm-hmm. And I think that he's aware, he's very aware of this, was the impression I got from the Q&A. And he's, a lot of the people he knows are aware of it because they have been allowed to have a greater study, I think, of, of, of history. And they understand that Hong Kong itself has a weird history because the Brits defined it before secession and then afterwards the Chinese, and, and now the Chinese are, that they've never really been in control of their own history. Mm-hmm. And I can see that being a very aggravating thing. I mean, that, that is an argument that uh, people in Quebec have made, and Quebec is given a much greater degree of autonomy uh, because, uh, oh, first it's the French, now it's the Canadians. And uh, that is that that is an argument Quebec separatists have said is that their culture has been defined by those two things. I really disagree. But uh, that is uh, that 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 it's it's a sentiment that seemed it it did not end hopefully mm-hmm. this because I I mean we're we're coming off a point where it seems like it does seem like these the force that will use the most force the force that will use the most force. It's gonna win. Yeah, 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 yeah. We've we've kind of seen a very great defeat for you know reason and progress recently. So, but it's also the fact yeah. that there are people who believe in reason. There are people who believe in progress. But you have to fight for it. Yeah, you, you gotta have hope. And not and only that, you gotta have hope, and you've gotta mobilize. Yeah. He was saying that he doesn't avow violence. He doesn't yeah. believe violence solves it because violence is not sustainable, and violence doesn't breed uh, agreement and uh yeah he's right he's very correct in that regard but there is there doesn't seem to be an option it seems like somebody cut the bottom out of pandora's box because there's not a lot of hope i feel that, that the maybe that's the way i'm reason it. why we aren't able to move forward or we are having these really radical sides is the fact that we that people now shut down when they are faced with a view that's different yeah, we're yeah. not really talking anymore. We talk to people who talk the same things that we do, but we're not really talking to someone different anymore. And I realize that I also do that with times too. I kind of go like, "You don't get it," and I just walk away. But then I go like, "Well, what? What don't I get about them? What are? What are they? You know, fueled on or 
basically fearing because everything there's a reason why they believe in that one thing like why why that impetus and i think if you understand it then you're like well maybe it's the same fear that we have but we're just showing in a different way let me you know let's talk about it when every principle you have is sacred that makes everyone else a heathen yeah 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 i want to make a joke out of that one but there we are there we go that was anyway that was yellowing it was really interesting. fantastic. One great thing about the editing I want to say about yeah. this, too. He took this footage and he um, put most of the colors in grayscale, except the yellow made it really pop, which was oh, yeah. really pretty, Very for one thing. Visual. But also did really did really ground it. It was, it was really, again, who, whoever edited this, they, they, were, they were in the credits. I didn't take down their name. Hats off to them. They did a great job. Yeah, and if you are interested to who watch it. the subtitles yeah. had... Might have had a... A little bit of English problems, but... Bit, bit, uh, almost, honestly, it seemed like a bit of problems, like keyboard problems. Yeah, like, maybe. Uh, <laughs> like yeah. little typo here and there. Yeah. But still understandable. Uh, it is in Cantonese, but there are English subtitles, and the yeah. subtitling is actually quite, quite good, quite funny, too. Yeah, but it's... it's, it's it, 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 yeah. I You can tell when the subtitling is good when the native Cantonese speakers laugh and the English-reading people laugh at the same time. Huh. That's what I always think. That means they translated it good to get the message across. Yeah, yeah, that would be. I, I was wondering if there was anything lost in translation there. There's because... probably some things that are lost in translation just because the swear words are, you know, probably a little more creative. Yeah, there was there there were there were a few points where they they did repeat the same the same epithets were translated to the. Well, we can't say it on this show, can we? We can't but, say it uh, on the show. But they were translated to ones that English speakers might be very familiar with, or if you're a New Yorker, just use multiple times before you get up in the morning. Mm-hmm. Anyways, that is Yellow Wing. If you are interested in seeing it, the director is uh, Chan Si Woon. Yeah. And if you do get to see it and you're kind of like, you know what, I kind of want to do see it, go for it. It, mm-hmm. it feels like a documentary yeah. that can be watched uh, without feeling too heavy or too burdened. But at the same time, you're feeling the political passions of these people. And there are there are some legitimately amazing comedy moments. I, I gotta gotta kind of end on that one because, you know what? I can't go to jail because my prospective girlfriend might frown upon it. Yeah, that's a good that's a good stream. That's a good thinking right there. That's a, that's what you got to do for juvenile delinquency PSAs. Uh-huh. Don't go to jail. It might interfere with your sex life. Ooh, that would have worked on me. <laughs> Still will work on me, actually. Anyway, we have a few uh, little PSAs, and we'll come right back. And then disclaimer: we have... I've never been to prison. He's never been to pl- prison. I would not yet. like to either. <laughs> yeah, and we'll we'll be back with more. Cheers. Join us every other Wednesday from six thirty to eight p.m. for Sam Squanch's Hideaway with your host Anita B. as she plays all Canadian music with a focus on indie rock and pop. For the best in funk, soul, surf, and more music, tune in to Jack Velvet's Suburban Jungle Show, Wednesday mornings from 8 to 10 at CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver. Add us on Twitter, at Jack Velvet Radio, Jack Velvet's Suburban Jungle Show. Also available, streaming and podcast at jackvelvet.net. TransCare BC works to enhance the coordination of trans health services across the province and offer expanded health services to support transgender communities. They are doing this by developing gender-affirming, client-centered models of service. Ensuring access to gender-affirming and supportive health care that is equitable and available. And supporting network development to make sure trans and gender-diverse individuals, their families, and health care providers have access to information, resources, and support. Check out phsa.ca to learn more about this program and lend your voice to help create an inclusive and supportive system for the trans members of our community. And welcome back to the Arts Report. I'm your host, Ashley Park. And I'm Jake Clark. Does it just me or does Jack Velvet sound like a like a male porn star from the 70s? Like he's I think got because of the luxurious name, like mustache. Velvet, yeah. Yeah, I'm Jack Velvet. Well, now you have this your porn star name. Oh, there you go. Actually, I was thinking Tootsie Parkway. I'm not certain. Hmm. You know, street you grew up on, favorite candy or something. I, I, I don't know. Anyway, uh, we're going to get into something kind of tangential to that, but not really. We're going to talk a little bit about um, historical trauma. We're going to talk a little bit about politics and, again, government and 
generation gaps and also the fight for justice. So I actually got to interview a uh, wonderful director, Tiffany Zhang. Unfortunately, we cannot play the uh, full interview today, but I can give you a trailer of The Apology, which is coming to Van City December 3rd and the 4th here in Vancouver. It is following the personal journeys of three former uh, former comfort women. Do you know comfort women? No. What the term is? No. Well, basically, comfort women were among the uh, 200,000 girls and young women who were kidnapped and forced into actually military uh, sexual slavery by the Imperial Japanese Army during World War II. And um, some 70 years after the imprisonment of these women in, in the quote-unquote comfort stations, uh, the three uh, grandmothers, now they're grandmothers, you have Grandma Gil in South Korea, Grandma Chow in China, and Grandma Adela in the Philippines, they kind of face their twilight years because they're so, getting older. So they were from groups that were con- were sort of invaded by the army? And- basically, yeah. It, it, basically, during the colonization, uh, the, the Imperial Japanese Army's colonization of Asia during World War II and a little bit beyond, basically, during that time, you get to, you know, quote-unquote, rape and plunder, right? Yeah, apparently and, not quote-unquote. Yeah. I'm just trying to... Good God. It, the Germans had the, a similar thing. They call it the Joy Division. Yeah. And people go like, it is something like, you know, people do in war, which is why it's even more terrifying that... doesn't make it right. It doesn't Jesus. make it right and doesn't make it something that, you know, people should just go mm, about. So these uh, three women, especially Grandma Gill, she's quite... Uh, She's, she's more most one of the vocal ones. She actually goes to a protest and stuff like that, asking for a public apology from the Japanese government on this part in their sordid history. And basically, it's really harrowing because for these women, time is running out. They're older now. They're one of the few survivors left of the actual comfort women. Yeah. Actually, a lot of them died in these comfort stations too. Horrible conditions. I, I can imagine. This is the... Same problem. It took, it took up to the 70s to acknowledge Nanking. So mm-hmm. so after decades of living in silence and shame, you get a lot of shame because especially in even in Western culture, you don't want to talk about being sexually, sexually assaulted. And in Asian culture, you really don't want to talk about being sexually assaulted. And um, so they're, they're living in shame and silence about their past. And then they know right now they have to basically – do something time is running out they need to get the word out so whether it's either looking for a formal apology from the japanese government or having the courage to share this kind of secret with their loved ones these grandmothers have such strong resolve to move forward and to take this like last chance to make sure future generations are able to find reconciliation, healing, and justice. So I'm just going to play the trailer to it. And if you guys are interested in the interview with Tiffany, we will be having it up on our um, SoundCloud. We're going to share with you on Facebook. So look for that. This is the trailer for The Apology. Grandmothers are being called prostitutes. Over 200,000 women and girls were forced into sexual slavery by the Japanese army during World War II in Asia. This is Grandma Gil talking about how she was taken when she was 13. Now this is Grandma Adela in Philippines. She was only 14 And Grandma Chow's daughter actually didn't want to know about her mother's past. She was scared of even asking her, too. If I can tell my, my children all about it, I would be very happy if they will accept what I was doing and uh, what happened to me. 
선생님을 하니까 위안부가 죄가 아니라 내가 죄가 아니라 They're asking for apologies. 나오기 시작해가지고 같이 싸워야지 일본 사람이 거짓말 하지 말고 진짜로 나와서 사과하는 거 봤으면 좋겠지 사과를 한다고 그 상처가 없어지니까 아니죠 상처는 안 없어지지만 마음은 조금 풀어지니까 그날을 기다리고 있죠 That was a trailer for the apology, and we just saw it right now. And basically, what they said is, if we get the apology, will we, you know, is it gonna, you know, heal everything? No. But having that public apology is going to start the healing process. At least acknowledge what happened. At least acknowledge what happened. <sighs> and acknowledgement is a huge thing here too in British Columbia, which is the reason why we are always saying that this is the unceded t- territory of the Musqueam people. This is the you know, land that, you know, we colonized. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a parallel to it. Yep. Uh, well, uh, I, I don't know, you know, I really want to end the show on a high note, but uh, I really don't know how we're going to do that. Well, we can 